0: Hello and welcome to 30 Days of Grimm. In today's episode, a father and mother reunite with their long lost son. They're surprised at what he's become and so is his godfather. But can he pull off all the tricks and save his life? Find out in episode 23, The Master Thief. One day, an old man and his wife were sitting in front of their rather shabby cottage, having a little rest from their labors. Suddenly, there came towards them a magnificent carriage drawn by four black horses, and a richly clad gentleman alighted from it. The peasant stood up, went to the gentleman, and asked what his pleasure was, and in what way he could serve him. The stranger shook hands with the old man and said, "'I have no other wish than for once to enjoy a simple country dish.' Prepare me some potatoes the way you used to have them. Then I will sit down with you at your table and be delighted to eat them. The peasant laughed and said, You must be a count or a prince, or even a duke. Noblemen sometimes have such fancies. However, your wish shall be fulfilled. The wife went into the kitchen and started to wash and cook the potatoes to make potato cakes with them. While she was at work, the peasant said to the stranger, Come into my garden for a while, sir. I still have some work to do there. "'He had dug holes in the garden and wanted to put in some trees. "'Have you any children?' asked the stranger, "'who could assist you in your work. "'No,' answered the peasant. "'To be sure, I had one,' he added. "'But he went out into the wide world a long time ago. "'He was an undutiful boy, clever and deep, "'but he wouldn't learn anything "'and was always up to some kind of trick. "'At last he ran away, "'and I haven't heard anything of him since. "'The old man took a young tree,' Put it in its hole and drove a pole into the ground beside it when he had shoveled enough earth and stamped the soil around it he tied the tree fast to the pole below above and in the middle with a rope of straw tell me said the gentleman why don't you tie the crooked knobbly tree which lies in the corner there bowed nearly to the ground to a pole so that it may go straight the old man smiled and said sir you speak as it appears to you it's plain to see you haven't had much experience with gardening "'The tree over there is old and crooked. "'It's too late now to make it grow straight. "'You must train trees when they are young.' "'It is the same with your son,' said the stranger. "'Had you trained him while he was still young, "'he wouldn't have run away on you. "'Now he, too, will have become hard and crooked.' "'Of course,' answered the old man. "'It's now a long time since he ran away. "'He will have changed.' "'Would you know him if he were to stand before you?' asked the stranger.' hardly by his face answered the peasant but he has a mark on him a mole on his shoulder which looks like a bean when he said that the stranger took off his coat and showed the peasant the mark dear lord cried the old man you are my true son and love for his child stirred his heart but how can you be my son he added you have become a great gentleman and live in wealth and abundance how did you come by it all alas father replied the son the young tree was not tied to a pole and has grown crooked now it's too late it will never become straight again how did i come by all of this i am a thief but don't be alarmed i am a master thief there's neither lock nor bolt that i cannot open whatever i desire is mine don't think for a moment that i steal like a common thief i only take the surplus riches of the wealthy poor people have nothing to fear for me to those i rather give than take anything from them "'Neither do I touch what I can have "'without effort, cunning, and skill. "'Those things don't tempt me.' "'Oh, my son,' said the father, "'I don't like it all the same. "'A thief is a thief. "'I tell you, you'll come to a bad end.' "'He took him to his mother, "'and when she heard he was her son, "'she wept for joy. "'But when he told her he had become a master thief, "'tears of shame streamed from her eyes. "'In the end, she said, "'Even if he's become a thief, "'he is my son,' "'and my eyes have rejoiced in seeing him once again.' "'They sat down at the table, "'and he once more ate with his parents "'the simple fare which he had not eaten for so long. "'The father said, "'When his grace, the count up there at the castle, "'learns who you are and what you do for a living, "'he won't take you in his arms and rock you as he did "'when he held you at the christening, "'but he will have you swing on the gallows. "'Don't worry, father, he won't do that, "'for I know my profession.' I'll go to him myself this very day. As evening drew near, the master thief got into his coach and drove to the castle. The count received him with courtesy, for he took him to be a nobleman. However, when the stranger made himself known to him, the older man turned pale and was silent for some time. At last he said, You are my godson, therefore I will temper justice with mercy and I will treat you with forbearance. Since you boast you are a master thief, I will put your art to the test. If you can't prove your skill, you must marry the rope-maker's daughter, and the crowing of the raven shall be your wedding music. Your grace, answered the master thief, think of three tricks as difficult as you possibly can, and if I don't fulfill the tasks, do with me as you think fit. The count reflected for a few moments and then said, Very well. First you shall steal my favorite horse from the stable. Second, you shall remove the sheet from under the countess and myself without our noticing it, and, in addition, take the wedding ring off my wife's finger. Third and last, you shall steal the parson and the sexton from my church. Take due note of this, for your neck is at stake. The master thief went to the neighboring town. There he bought clothes from an old peasant woman and put them on. He colored his face brown and painted in wrinkles that made him look so old that no one would have recognized him. Finally, he filled a little cask with old wine and mixed a strong sleeping potion in it. He put the cask in a basket, which he carried on his back, and went with slow and tottering steps to the Count's castle. It was already dark when he arrived. He sat down in the courtyard on a stone, started coughing badly, and rubbed his hands as though they were freezing outside the stable door some soldiers were lying around a fire. One of them noticed the old woman and called out to her, "'Come, Granny, and warm your hands with us over here. You have nowhere to stay the night, and you will have to take shelter where you can find it.' The old woman tottered up to them, begged them to take the basket from her back, and sat down with them at the fire. "'What have you got in that cask, old lady?' asked one of the soldiers." "'Oh, good drink of wine,' she answered. "'I make my living from trade, for money and kind words. "'I'll be glad to give you a glass.' "'Just push it over here, then,' said the soldier. "'And when he tasted one glass, he said, "'When the wine is good, I don't mind another glass.' "'And he had another poured for himself, and the others followed suit. "'Hello, comrades,' shouted one of them to those who were sitting in the stable. "'Here is an old woman. She has wine that is old as herself.' "'Take a drink. It will warm your stomachs better than that fire of ours.' "'The old woman carried the cask from the stable. "'One soldier sat in the saddle of the count's favorite horse. "'Another held the bridle, and a third seized the tail. "'She poured out as much as was demanded until the cask was empty. "'Before long the bridle dropped out of the hand of the one holding it, "'and he himself fell down and began to snore. "'The other one who held the tail let go of it, lay down, and snored even louder.' The man who was sitting in the saddle remained sitting, but his head bowed down nearly to the horse's neck. He slept and blew out his mouth like a blacksmith's bellows. Outside, the soldiers had fallen asleep long before, lay on the ground, and were as motionless as stones. When the master thief saw he had succeeded, he put a rope inside of the bridle of the hand of the one, and a wisp of straw in the hand of the one who was holding the tail. But what was there to do with the one who was sitting on the horse's back? He did not want to throw him off for fear he might wake him up and raise an alarm but he found a good solution he unbuckled the girth fastened a few ropes that hung in rings on the wall to the saddle and pulled the sleeping man along with the saddle in the air then he tied the rope round the post and made it fast he soon had the horse unfastened from the chain but he had ridden over the cobblestones and the noise would have been heard in the castle so first he wrapped the horse's hoofs in old rags led it out carefully "'swung himself up, and rode off. "'At the crack of dawn, the master thief galloped on the stolen steed to the castle. "'The count had just risen and was looking out the window. "'Good morning, your grace,' he called to him. "'Here is your favorite horse I was lucky enough to take from your stable. "'Just see how nicely your soldiers are lying asleep. "'If you care to go into the stable, "'you'll see how comfortable your guardsmen have made themselves.' "'The count could not help laughing, and then he said, "'For once you have won the day.' But things won't go so well for you the second time and i warn you if i catch you stealing like a thief i will treat you like a thief when the countess went to bed that night she closed tight the hand with the wedding ring on it and the count said everything is locked up and bolted i will stay awake and lie in wait for the thief but if he climbs up to the window i will shoot him down under the cover of darkness the master thief went to the gallows cut down an executed criminal who was hanging there by the rope and carried him to the castle on his back. Then he placed a ladder at the bedchamber window, put the dead man on his shoulders and began to mount. When he got as high as the window of the count's and countess's bedchamber, the dead man's head appeared in the window. The count who was lying in wait for his bed fired a pistol at him. At once the master thief let the dead man drop down and nearly himself jumped off the ladder and hid in the corner of the grounds. The night was so clearly lit by the moon that the master thief could see distinctly how the count stepped from the window and carried the body of the dead man into the garden. There he began to dig a hole in which to bury him. Now, thought the thief, the moment has come, and he sneaked nimbly from his hiding place and climbed up the ladder straight into the countess's bedroom. "'Dear wife,' he said in the count's voice, "'the thief is dead. "'Yet he is my godson, "'and more of a rogue than a real villain. "'I will not expose him to public shame. "'I am also sorry for his parents. "'Before day comes, I will bury him in the garden "'so that the thing is not noised abroad. "'Give me the sheet. "'I will shroud the body and not bury him like a dog.' "'The countess gave him the sheet. "'You know,' went on the thief, "'I have a generous heart. "'I will put your ring on the thief's finger.' After all, the unfortunate man has staked his life on it, so he may as well take it to the grave with him. The countess did not want to contradict the count, and was none too happy about it, but she slipped the ring off her finger and gave it to him. The Master Thief went off with both things, and arrived safely home before the Count had finished his grave digging. The Count pulled a long face when the Master Thief came the next morning and brought him the sheet and the ring. Are you a magician? he said to him. "'Whoever got you out of the grave where I myself laid you and brought you to life again?' "'That wasn't me you buried,' said the thief, "'but a criminal from the gallows,' and he described in detail how it happened. "'The count had to admit he was a clever, cunning thief. "'But you are not through yet,' he added. "'There is still the third task to perform, "'and if you don't succeed, all you have accomplished shall be for nothing.' "'The master thief smiled and made no reply.' When night fell, he came to the village church with a long sack on his back, a bundle on his arm, and a lantern in his hand. In the sack he had crabs, and in the bundle, short wax candles. He sat down in the churchyard, took one crab out, and stuck a little candle on its back. Then he lit the light, set it on the ground, and let it crawl. He fetched at another out of the sack and went on until the last was out. Then he put on a long black garment, which looked like a monk's cowl, "'and stuck a gray beard on his chin. "'When he was fully disguised, he took the sack "'in which the crabs had been and went into the church "'and went to the pulpit. "'The tower clock was just striking twelve. "'When the last stroke had died down, "'he called out in a large, piercing voice, "'Hearken, hearken, you sinners, "'the end of all things is at hand. "'Doomsday is near. "'Hearken, hearken. "'Whoever wishes to go to heaven with me, "'let him crawl into the sack.' I am Peter, who opens and shuts the heaven gates. Beyond, out in the graveyard, the dead are roaming about, collecting their bones. Come, come, and crawl into the sack. The end of the world has come. The voice echoed throughout the whole village. The parson and the sexton who lived nearest the church were the first to hear it. And when they saw the lights moving about in the graveyard, they realized that something extraordinary was going on and came into the church. For a while they listened to the sermon, and then the sexton nudged the parson and said, "'It wouldn't be a bad idea if we used this opportunity and went to heaven together in an easy way before doomsday dawns.' "'Exactly,' replied the parson. "'That's what I've been thinking, too. If you feel like it, we can get ready to set off now.' "'Yes,' said the sexton. "'But you, your reverence, have precedence. I shall follow you.' So the parson went forward and mounted the pulpit, where the master thief opened the sack. The parson crawled in first, and then the sexton. At once the master thief bound the sack fast, caught hold of it, and dragged it down the pulpit steps. Whenever the heads of the two fools knocked against the steps, they called out, "'Now we are going over the mountains!' And he dragged them in a similar way through the village. And when they went through puddles, he cried, "'Now we are going through the damp clouds!' And when he finally dragged them to the palace steps, he cried, "'Now we are on the steps of heaven, and we will soon be in the outer court!' When they got upstairs, he threw the sack into a dove-coat, and when the doves fluttered their wings, he shouted, Do you hear how the angels rejoice and flap their wings? And then he went off. The next morning he went to the count and told him that he had also accomplished a third task and kidnapped the parson and sexton from the church. Where did you leave them? asked the count. Why, they lie in a sack in the dovecote and imagine they are in heaven. The count went up and convinced them that the master thief had told the truth. When he had freed the parson and sexton from their prison he said you are an arch thief and have won your case. This time you shall get off with your skin but take care that you disappear from my country for if you ever set foot in it again then you can count on your place on the gallows. The arch thief said goodbye to his parents went out once more into the wide world and was never heard of again.